This morning, turn to James chapter 1, and uh, we're going to come to a conclusion of James chapter 1 this morning, of the Lord willing. Last uh, week, we began a two-part message on our relationship uh, with the Word of God. And uh, this morning we want to continue talking about this very important relationship in our lives. Our relationship um, with God is far more important uh, relationship, a per- the most important relationship a person can have. Uh, but next to our salvation, our, our relationship with God's Word, I think, would be a very close second. You see, if we're going to live a Christian life, if we're going to serve God, we're going to do His will... We need to know his word. Now, last week we uh, looked at uh, the removal of filth in our lives. Uh, we looked at the reception of God's word, the realization of, God's, of the word of God in our lives, the resemblance of a hearer. And then we uh, looked at the results of obeying the word. Now, we want to go back to this last point here, the results of obeying the word. And uh, looking at verses 21 uh, through verse 24. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like a man beholding his natural face in a glass, For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. It's really uh, only one point other than uh, in our message this morning. We're going to make it two points because we're going to go back to this point here, resulting the results of obeying the word, and uh, talk a little bit more about that. Uh, And James says we will miss out on blessings many times because we tend to be forgetful hearers. Forgetfulness. Y'all remember to come to church this morning. Y'all remember to put on your shirt and, and uh, your clothes. That's good. Uh, sometimes we have a tendency to forget. Especially the older we get. I laid a pair of glasses down the other day and I forgot where I put them. Until I sat on them. Then I remembered. Oh yes. But. uh, You know we. We become forgetful sometimes. And that's not just a. Plague of old age. Okay young people. Uh, That's something. uh, We older ones uh, know a lot about. But uh, when we look at the Bible. We find a number of insights. About this issue of forgetfulness. And I'm not talking about dementia or, or uh, you know, uh, Alzheimer's or anything like that. I'm talking about just forgetting what we read, forgetting what God tells us. I want you to look at that this evening or this morning for a moment. Um, forgetfulness in the scriptures. And the first thing that we notice here uh, is the caution about forgetfulness. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, And verse 9, it says, Only take heed to thyself and keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget 
the things which thine eyes have seen, unless they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life, but teach them thy sons and sons' sons. So teaching our children and our grandchildren is a very important part here of taking heed to thyself the things that we've seen. He was talking, of course, to Israel, but he also talks to us in this day. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 11. Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes, which I command thee this day. So when the Bible says, take heed, when it says, beware, that's exactly what we're to do. And so there's a caution about forgetfulness. Secondly, there's a, the causes of forgetfulness. The causes of forgetfulness. And there are at least seven causes for our forgetfulness of the Word of God. And so we're going to look at that uh, uh, for a few moments here. The causes of forgetfulness. The first one is refusing to listen to the Lord. In Jeremiah 6.10, it says, To whom shall I speak and give warning? That they may hear. Behold, their ear is uncircumcised. They cannot hearken. Behold, the word of the Lord is unto them a reproach. They have no delight in it. They don't want to hear it. They refuse to hear it. Ezekiel 12.2, Son of man, thou dwellest in the midst of a rebellious house, which have eyes to see and see not. They have ears to hear and hear not, for they are a rebellious house. Zechariah 7.11 says, But they refused to hearken and pulled away the shoulder and stopped their ears that they should not hear. Now, if you're a parent this morning, you've probably experienced this with your children. Maybe you've seen a child being corrected by a parent for some wrongdoing, and in their rebellion, they pull away and they put their hands over their ears. They don't want to hear what's being said. And that's exactly what we do to God when we refuse to read, to study, to hear his word. We're pulling away. We're stopping our ears, refusing to listen to the Lord. Notice another cause for forgetfulness, no reliance upon the Lord. In 1863, President Abraham Lincoln designated April the 30th as a day of national humiliation, fasting, and prayer. Let me just read a portion of his proclamation on that occasion. His proclamation, I think, is very relevant today. Lincoln said, It is the duty of nations as well as of men who owe their dependence upon the overruling power of God to confess their sins and transgressions in humble sorrow, yet with assured hope, and genuine repentance will lead to mercy and pardon and to recognize the sublime truth announced in the Holy Scriptures and proven by the history that those nations only are blessed whose God is the Lord. The awful calamity of civil war which now desolates the land may, not, may be but a punishment inflicted upon us for our presumptuous sins to the needful end of our national reformation as a whole people. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace, too proud to pray to God that made us. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has grown, but 
we have forgotten God. And if that was true in 1863, it's certainly true in 2018. We are a nation that has forgotten God. We're a nation who is refusing to listen to the Lord. We're not relying upon the Lord. And thirdly, we're replacing God with other things. Again, Deuteronomy 32, 17 and 18 says, They sacrifice unto devils, not to God. To gods whom they knew not, to new gods that came up newly up, whom your fathers feared not. Of, of the rock that begat thee, thou art unmindful, and hast forgotten God that formed thee. Replacing other things. Or replacing God with other things. Again, so true. And can be true of believers as well as unbelievers. Number four, rejecting the word of God. Rejecting it. Psalm 50, verse 70 says, Seest thou hatest instruction, and casteth my words behind thee? When thou sawest a thief, when thou consentest with him, and hast been partaker with adulterers, Thou givest thy mouth to evil, and thy tongue frameth deceit. Thou sittest and speakest against thy brother. Thou slanderest thine own mother's son. These things hast thou done, and I kept silence. Thou thoughtest that I was altogether such an one as thyself, but I will reprove thee and set them in order before thine eyes. Now consider this. Ye that forget God lest I tear you in pieces, and there shall be none to deliver. Well, I'm not sure that there needs to be any other commentary than that. That's as plain as a nose on your face. Rejecting God's word. It's a dangerous thing. Number five, reckoning God as unimportant. Jeremiah 2.32, Can a maid forget her ornaments or bride her attire? Yet my people have forgotten me. Days without number. Number six, no review of God's word. What we're talking about here is not practicing or reminding ourselves of the truth of God's word. Second Peter 1.12 says, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them, and be established in the present truth. You see, when we fail to review, we fail to put to practice the truths of God's word, we tend to forget them. When we're not reminded of God's truth or put ourselves in a situation where we can't be reminded, like skipping church, then we tend to forget. Number seven, the rigors of everyday life. Mark chapter 4, verse 19, it says, And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things entering in choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. You know, it's really easy to get too busy uh, to use an excuse. Well, I don't have time to read my Bible. You know, we have time for the things we make time for. It's really, really important enough to us, we'll make time for it. And so first of all, we have the caution of forgetfulness. We have the causes of forgetfulness. And thirdly, the consequences of forgetting God's word. And I want you to notice there are six consequences for forgetting God's word. The first one is bitter tears. Jeremiah 
3:21 a voice was heard upon high places weeping and supplications of children of Israel for they have perverted their way and they have forgotten the Lord their God bitter tears because we have forgotten God and we wonder why things are going the way they're going it's because we've forgotten the Lord our God there's the burden of our sinful choices You know, there are consequences to sinful living. And we can find forgiveness when we ask God for it, but we may still feel the scars of the sins for many years. There's the burden of our sinful choices. There's the barrenness and loss of blessing. Isaiah 17.10 says, Because thou hast forgotten the God of thy salvation, has not been mindful of the rock of thy strength, Therefore shalt thou plant pleasant plants, and shalt set, up, set it with strange slips. In the day shalt thou make thy plant to grow, and in the morning shalt thou make thy seed to flourish. But the harvest shall be a heap in the day of grief and desperate sorrow. When we're forgetful hearers, we tend to fail, and we tend to be dissatisfied, and we're left empty. Fourthly, A consequence of forgetting is a break in source of strength. Job chapter 8. Can the rush grow up without mire? Can the flag grow without water? Whilst it is yet in this greenness and not cut down, it withereth before thy any green or any other herb. So are the paths of all that forget God. And the hypocrite's hope shall perish. You see, true strength comes from God and from his word. The bondage from sinful decisions, number five. When a person forgets God, they tend to live in sin. And many become enslaved with sinful habits. Then there's the burden of eternal death. Psalm 9, verse 17. The wicked shall be turned into hell and all nations that forget God. It is if a person rejects Christ as his savior... That person will spend an eternity in hell. Let me ask you this morning. Are you a forgetful hearer? That brings us to the last point of this overall outline here. And shows us how religion is defined here in James chapter 1 and verses 26 and 27. It says, if any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, and but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. You know, a great emphasis is put, being put on today uh, on being a religious. Religion is discussed uh, Uh, Just about nonstop these days. Religion has a tendency to make people feel good about themselves. uh, To feel secure in their work and their merits. And for that reason men will reject Christ and cling to religion. Religion or being religious does not get a person to heaven. It's Jesus Christ that saves a soul. All religions do not lead to heaven. 
It's not true that we're all going uh, to end up in the same place. We're just getting there in different ways. That teaching was made up by religious men who reject Christ as the only way to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way. Christ is the only way to heaven. Men's works have no merit at all when it comes to the matter of salvation. True Christianity is not a religion of dead deeds. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. It is a, the way of life in following after Christ. You know, when we examine the Bible, we find God has a definition for being religious, and it's not the same as man's definition. And so in these verses here in James, it brings the matter of religion and being religious, I think, into perfect focus. I want you to notice, James says here, if any of you seem or think to be religious, you think you're religious. There are many today who claim to be religious, but they're not religious at all, as we will see here. So what does James mean by this word religious? comes from a Greek word which refers to external religious rituals, liturgies, routines, and ceremonies. That's where the word comes from. It was used by the historian Josephus to describe the temple worship in Jerusalem. But in contrast, the New Testament Greek word that's used is for genuine, transparent, Christ-honoring worship and had a basic meaning of holiness and godliness. True religious person will honor Christ. They will live godly. And James instructs that pure religion means to put to practice God's word. That's why it comes after this uh, verse 25 here. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. If any man among you seem to be religious, you think you're religious, but are you putting to practice and looking into the perfect law of liberty? We'll see here, it involves sharing his word through our service, our speech, our separation from sinful living. How do we do that? First, by bridling the tongue. Bridle the tongue. If we claim to be religious, but do not bridle our tongue, we deceive ourselves into thinking we're something that we're not. And the so-called religion, then, is in vain. Now, this word bridleth comes from a word which means what you would think it would mean, to lead by a bridle, to hold in check or re- restraint. Our tongues are like wild stallions that need to be tamed and bridled. God says if you can't control your tongue, your religion is vain, it's worthless, it's useless, it's empty of force and truth, it's counterfeit, it's good for nothing. God knows the power of our mouths and the damage we can create with our tongues. Many times people have destroyed relationships or their testimonies in a very uh, snap of the finger. Just with one word or just a one sentence, they've, they've destroyed themselves by shooting off their big mouth. Cursing, reviling, telling dirty stories, arguing, speaking in fits of rage have hurt the example of many Christians. You'd think that those are unbelievers that do that. No, sometimes it's Christians. There is phenomenal power in the tongue. 
Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. We do a lot of talking, so we need to be careful of what we say. Do you realize that about 20% of your life is spent talking? I think I heard someone say earlier this morning, if, I'm okay if I keep my mouth shut. Someone else said, that sounds like a good sermon title. It's estimated that an average person speaks 18,000 words per day. Now remember, I said average. That means some are you going to speak a few less and some a few more. That would be enough to fill a book of 54 pages per day. And in a year, that would amount to six volumes containing 800 pages. It's good not, a good thing we're not recording everything we're saying. Our libraries would be packed, wouldn't they? Well, God can help us to be careful with what we say. Someone put it this way. Keep the draft door closed and the fire will go out. If you look over in James chapter 3, it also talks about the tongue. So we're not going to leave this subject uh, at all with our uh, study of James. We'll co- come to it again. But James chapter 3 verse 6 says, And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body, and it setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. Someone wrote a careless word may kindle strife. A cruel word may wreck a life. A bitter word word may hate and still. A brutal word may smite and kill. A gracious word may soothe the way. A joyous word may light the day. A timely word may lessen stress. A loving word may lead and bless. We need to bridle the tongue. Secondly, we need to visit the fatherless and widows. Pure and undefiled religion in God's estimation and according to his, uh, his standard is to visit the fatherless or orphans and widows. And some folks think they, they're pleasing God by their religion when, they, uh, when that's really not the case at all. Matthew chapter 15 and verse 8 says, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And we realize that if we want to go to heaven, you'll have to go God's way. And that way is through his son, Jesus Christ. There's no other way. And if you've trusted Christ as your savior, you're to be visiting the fatherless and the widows. Now the word visit there means more than just going by someone's house and knocking on their door and saying, hello. The word has the idea of getting involved in their lives. Providing and helping them, caring for them. It's a word of giving and sacrifice. It comes from the same root word which means the overseer or the bishop of a church. And by the way, it's not just the pastor's job to visit the fatherless and the widows. He's not speaking only to the pastor. He's speaking to all who think, who seem, seemeth to be religious. James is talking to all of us as a part of this church. You see, the persecution of the church in that day left many families fatherless 
as godly men were martyred for Christ. And there was a great need for all Christians to help one another. And so this is part of religion defined. Thirdly, keep yourself unspotted. Pure religions also involve keeping oneself unspotted from the world. Uh, What does that mean? Well, the word keep, of course, is a military word. It means to garden or to carefully attend to. Uh, The tense of these verbs indicate regular and continuous action. Uh, We're to constantly keep ourselves unspotted from the world, or clean from the world. The word unspotted comes from a word which means spotless, clean, irreproachable, free from vice. We're not to live like unsaved people. Our lifestyle should be different. And the world will get you dirty if you let it. Now there are four, I think, four steps in departing from the Lord and getting into a backslidden condition, becoming spotted or unclean. The first one, first step would be becoming a friend of the world. Of course, in one of our memory verses uh, uh, in James chapter 4 and verse 4, Says ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. Secondly, the second step would begin to love the world. First John two, fifteen and sixteen, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. Step number three would be be conformed. Being conformed to the world will get us uh, 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 will get us spotted. Will be kind of get us un, uh, unclean. Romans twelve one. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world. Be not conformed to this world. Don't become like the world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. There's another step in departing from the Lord and getting into a backslidden condition, becoming spotted or unclean. That's being condemned with the world. First, Tim, or First Corinthians 11.32 But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. Now what verse in the Bible says, can you think of the verse, cleanliness is next to godliness? Is that in the Bible? Can you find that verse? I, I've never been able to find that verse. Uh, verse. Uh, can anyone tell me the book, the chapter, the verse of that? Well, those exact words may not be found in the Bible. But I do think the concept is there. The principle's there. God wants us to be unspotted. Keep ourselves unspotted. Now, there are some biblical concepts that we can look at here on cleanliness, just a few of them. First of all, there's the priority of cleansing. 
This priority cleansing is a requirement for standing before God. It says in Psalm 24, 3 through 5, Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul into vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from God of his salvation. Cleansing is a requirement. For standing before God. We have a need for cleansing because we're sinners. David realized that in Psalm 51 and verse 2 where he said, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Secondly, there's the pondering questions. Job 15 and verse 14. What is man that he should be clean? For he which is born of a woman that he should be righteous. Those are some questions to think about. They were questions that Job pondered. Psalm 119 verse 9, another question. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? Thankfully we are given the answer. By taking heed thereto according to thy word. And by the way, that's not just for young people. That's for older people as well. There's the plea for cleansing. Secret faults need to be cleansed. Psalm 19.12, who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. There's a need for a clean heart. Psalm 51.10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And the search for evil in our lives uh, by the Lord is to be requested. Psalm 139.23 and 24, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me to the way everlasting. A plea for cleansing. There's the perverted view for cleansing. You know, men believe they can cleanse themselves. You know, if I just really work at it, if I just try, try really hard, I can do what's right. Proverbs 16, 2 says, All the ways of man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weigheth the spirits. Men believe their ways are right, but their way leads to destruction. Proverbs fourteen twelve: There is a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And then we come to the prohibitions for cleansing. Again, we cannot cleanse ourselves. Proverbs 20 and verse 9, Who can say, I have made my heart clean? I am pure from sin. No one can say that. Jeremiah 2.22, For though thou wash me with nitre, and take thee much soap, yet thine iniquity is marked before me, saith the Lord. Uh, Nitre uh, is carbonate of soda. Soap is also lye or potash. And the word marked means deeply stained. We can scrub ourselves until our skin is raw, but we, it doesn't take care of sin. You see, cleansing is the work of God. Then there's the promise of cleansing. Jeremiah 33, 8 says, And I will cleanse them from all their iniquity, whereby they have sinned against me, and I will pardon all their iniquities, whereby they have sinned and whereby they have transgressed against me. Isaiah 1 and verse 18 says, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though their sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. That word crimson is a word that means worm or scarlet stuff. Crimson, the dye made from dyed 
the dried uh, body of a female worm. Sounds disgusting, does it? But they shall be red like crimson. And then there's the proclamation to be cleansed. We are commanded to be clean. We're to depart from sinful living. Back in 1842, the first bathtub was denounced as luxurious and democratic vanity. Got a bathtub in your house? Ah, terrible. Boston made it against the law to bathe, except on a doctor's prescription. In 1843, Philadelphia made bathing illegal between November and March 15th. It's unfortunate that many Christians have adopted a similar schedule of spiritual cleansing. We would rather put up with the stench of our unconfessed sins than come clean before God. 2 Corinthians 7.1 says, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Isaiah 1.16 says, Wash you, make you clean, put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil. There's a couple other references there. We won't take time to, to, to read this morning. But uh, uh, the Bible, do you sense another theme in the Bible? We talked about one theme this morning was love all the way through the Bible. And now you have this theme of cleansing all the way through the Bible. These are things that are important to God. They ought to be important to us. And then there's the process for cleansing. We're to be cleansed by, we're cleansed by the power and blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, we're cleansed by confessing our sins to the Lord. Uh, the word of God has a cleansing effect. John 15, 3 says, Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. A discipline has a cleansing effect on a child. Proverbs 20, 30, The blueness of the wound cleanseth away evil. The fear of the Lord has a cleansing effect on us. The expectancy of the Lord's return should motivate us to keep ourselves pure. And obeying the word of God has a purifying effect. That's the process for cleansing. And then the principles of cleansing. Cleansing is needed for useful service. 2 Timothy 2.21 If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet or fit for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. The Bible has a lot to say about cleansing. As during a, a tour of a large manufacturing plant, a visitor noticed a man using a fiery torch to work on some huge slabs of steel. There were times, however, when the flame would not make an impression on the steel. And when this happened, a chemical substance was applied to the resisting patch and immediately the cutting would, be re, uh, would resume. And the worker explained that although the torch was able to cut through even steel that might be as much as eight inches thick, if he encounters the slightest film of rust on the surface, the flame would not penetrate it. And the rusty metal is an accurate picture of many Christians today. The Holy Spirit is seeking to produce God's perfect design upon our lives. And if your life, my life, is going to be right with God, if he's going to be able to freely work 
in us, we've got to be clean. If we're backslidden, we're corrupted with carnality, and we're rusting with rebellion, then the Spirit of God is hindered until the area of our life is thoroughly cleansed. And so we need to be clean so the Lord can work in us and through us. Purity strengthens us. Inward cleanliness is more important than outward cleanliness. We are to be clean in order to worship the Lord. And as you look at your life this morning, are you clean before God? Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior and been cleansed by his blood? As a Christian, are you walking with him and do you have a right relationship with him? If not, then today is the day to get it right. Pure religion and undefiled before God is to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. Let's pray. Father in heaven,